And what is the Bible? Where do we get it? Is what we're going to look at tonight, 2 Timothy chapter 3. A very, uh, I hope, familiar portion of Scripture for you. And as we look at this, notice if you will, oh, particularly verse 16. 2 Timothy 3 verse 16, he says, All Scripture is given, notice, by inspiration of God. Then he says, notice, And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Okay, so we understand a lot of the Bible, but there's a lot we don't understand. And one of the areas I don't fully understand, and I hope to help you tonight, is how we got the Bible. Okay, okay now let's look at our notes again, and I'll try to get through this rather efficiently. It says the Bible is the Word of God, as we've said this before. But here's the book that's divine and yet very human. Here's a book that reveals the thoughts of God and the language of men. Here's a book that uh, reveals the hearts of men in plain, understandable language. Here's a book that tells the truth about heaven and hell in such simple words a child can understand. Here's a book that reveals the mind of God to the extent that the most intelligent can never master it. Here's a book that gives the way of salvation. Here's a book that gives the way of this life. Here's the book that gives the way of the next life. We know that. If the Bible is true, then God is love. He is absolutely holy. He's omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent, immutable, and all-wise. Therefore, it is unthinkable that our God, who can do no wrong, who is almighty and limited only by the limitations placed upon himself by himself, and who is deeply in love with his creatures, would require certain things of those creatures without communicating to them those requirements in a language they can understand. Isn't that true? If He's all-powerful and all-loving, He wouldn't tell us or, or not share with us the things we're supposed to do. That's an unfair, unjust God. Okay. As a matter of fact, it would be unjust and wicked to demand certain things and prescribe judgment and punishment for failure without first stipulating what is required. God cannot be unjust. He cannot do wickedly. He has certainly revealed Himself and His demands to us in this book called the Bible. The question is, how did we get our Bible? So number one, notice, we got our Bible first by divine inspiration. Okay, that's what we read in 2 Timothy 3. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. So what is inspiration? Now everybody take a deep breath. <sighs> right? Okay. There's inspiration, there's expiration. Uh, you inhale and you can exhale, right? Uh, when something is expired, that means it's out of date. It's no good, right? When a body has expired, that means it's el muerte, right? It's dead. Now, inspiration, you know what it means, I'm sure. But God breathed, the term given by inspiration. Now, this means the scriptures are the result of a certain influence exerted by God upon their authors so that they wrote, wrote down the exact words God wanted written and only the words He wanted written. Now, again, you can inspire somebody. It's very easy to do, <laughs> right? You can do something that would inspire People. And that's what God did. Now, literally, He breathed the words and He moved upon these authors, okay? Now, notice the second paragraph under that, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was especially and miraculously present with and in the writers of the Scriptures. One said it this way, and I love how it's put. He says, Holy men of God, qualified by the infusion of the breath of God, wrote in obedience to the divine command, and were kept from all error, whether they revealed truths previously unknown or recorded truths already familiar. Now, meaning the books of the Bible are of divine origin and authority. Notice 2 Peter 1 verse 20. This is a great verse to share with other people. It says, Knowing this first, no prophecy of the Scriptures of any, any private interpretation. 
Then he says, For the prophecy came not old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. There's the inspiration, right? That's the one. So I talk to people often about that. But one thing that I've heard several times is that people will say, well, it's a book written by man, and how can we trust it? Man is fallible. Man is sinful. Why would I trust it? And I always, or I try to, refer there to 2 Peter 1.20 because it says very clearly, uh, verse 21, they were moved by the Holy Ghost. That's not something hard to understand, but it's by inspiration. Okay, now the next question is, what is the extent of the inspiration? There's two areas of it, and I'll try not to be too uh, mundane or laborious with it, but the one is plenary. Now, by plenary is meant that the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation is equally inspired of God. Now, 2 Timothy 3 talks about all scriptures given by inspiration of God. Well, hang on a second. Paul is writing to Timothy. When he says all scripture, he's referring primarily to the Old Testament because the New Testament wasn't completed yet, was it? It wasn't. And so what's he talking about? How can he say all scripture is given by inspiration of God? We're going to look at that in just a minute. But we'll see that it's, as we see the canon of scripture come together, that it's included, all of it is given by God. Now, we don't believe in what's today continuing revelation, where if I were to sit down and pen out a letter, Lord, please give this letter by inspiration. Now, that doesn't happen today. We don't believe that. When the, the Bible was completed over about, well, a little under 2,000 years ago, it's called the completed canon of Scripture, compiled together, 66 books put together. When that was done, it was done. That's all we needed to know. The next event is that God returns and takes us home. Lord willing, that'll be sooner than later. Amen? <laughs> He'll take us home, and then we won't have need of the Bible, will we? Why? Because God the Word became flesh, who is Jesus Christ, will be with Him for all of eternity. He'll tell us everything we need. Okay, so anyways, plenary means completed. Okay, now Luke 24, 25, fascinating. Remember, this is the scenario here when Jesus has... Uh, uh, been resurrected, and now he's talking to these individuals walking down the road. Then said he unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and entered into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. So he covered the entire Old Testament. Okay, so notice the word scripture appears 53 times in the New Testament. It always refers, uh, always referring to a part of the Bible. Sometimes it refers to the entire Old Testament. In Luke 24, we just read that. Letter C under that, sometimes it refers to a particular Old Testament passage. In Luke 4:21, and he began to say to them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And sometimes it refers to a particular New Testament passage. So anyways, just clarifying what he says, turn it over uh, when he says Scripture, okay? Uh, letter E on the next page, sometimes it refers to a larger portion of the New Testament, as in uh, 2 Peter 3.16. Now notice this one. This is clarifying that the writings of the epistles, uh, the, the Paul, Pauline epistles, are considered Scripture. Also, as also in all his epistles, uh, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures under their own destruction. So as you follow it very carefully, you see he makes the scriptures synonymous with the writings of Paul, which were his epistles. And so very carefully following that.
So all of the Bible is inspired by God. And then the second aspect of inspiration is what's called verbal inspiration. Now, verbal inspiration carries with it several things. Uh, some of these verses here, I won't read all of them, but Psalm 12 is a great one. The words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Uh, Proverbs 30, every word of God is pure. Matthew 5, 18, till heaven and earth pass one jot or one till shall no ways uh, pass from the law. Uh, thinking about some of this stuff. Okay, then skip, jump to the next paragraph there. That God caused the writers to write down the exact words he wanted recorded and only those words he wanted. Now here's a good case in point here. Uh, Galatians 3.16 talks about this. Now I want to emphasize this again. He didn't just inspire or preserve or uh, record the thoughts of man. He recorded the very words, and that's what we want to emphasize. The modern versions of today, they push this, what they call, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, the way of them translating it, but they believe that it was the thought. Now, I told you to go to the store, uh, case in point. Uh, my wife says, go to the store, get bread, eggs, and milk. Okay, got it. I go to the store, I browse around for a bit, get uh, my ADD kicked in or something, and I, you know, the squirrel syndrome. <laughs> I get a Snickers bar, a Dr. Pepper, and a cinnamon roll, and I come back home. And she says, uh, what did you do? I said, well, I went to the store. She said, no, you didn't get what I told you. I said, but I, I kind of got the understanding you wanted me to go to the store. <laughs> it wasn't the thought of going to, it was the very words, right? And I learned that the hard way, okay? Yeah, the very, very words. But that's what he's emphasizing now. Okay, now notice what I have here in Galatians 3.16. This is kind of interesting. He says, now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made, he saith not unto seeds, notice plural, as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. Now, what's the point of this? Notice. Here the whole argument rests upon the fact that God said seed, singular, and not seeds, plural. Whether the word is singular or plural makes a vital difference in Scripture. God inspired the exact words He wanted, not merely the thoughts as many claim. So that's very clear. That's very, very important to understand because it's not just the thought. If it's just the thought, then I have the leeway, right? I can vacillate a little bit, and I can make up a few things. Well, the, when the Lord said that, He didn't exactly mean that. No. That's why we come back to and believe in what's called the very verbal inspiration, that He very words down to every word, even to the point of even singular or plural. Okay, The second paragraph, a study of the Bible, brings us to this conclusion. God began at the very beginning giving man a written record or a scripture to follow. Paul tells us that there was scripture that preached to Abraham. Galatians 3.8, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen, through faith preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, And these shall all nations be blessed. So we know that Moses wrote the book of Genesis, but he was not present with any of those events to, when they took place. Therefore God either supernaturally revealed to him the things to write, or he placed in his hands scriptures to edit under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit so he can compile the book. Now, I believe personally that uh, we know uh, the first five books were given by Moses. Well, Moses wasn't there at the creation, right? Uh, he was many, many generations later. But we believe that Adam recorded down what happened, and then we believe Noah recorded down what happened, and so on and so forth, these individuals. And again, the little thing that I have here, when you see the word, now these are the generations of Noah, 
That means that Noah's about to write down, it's revealing what he recorded. That's what he did. So anyways, he did that, and then he gave, I believe, handed down scriptures compiled together. You have the books of Adam and the books of Noah and others, and compiled with Moses. Moses edited it, basically under the inspiration, put it all together. Okay. He was the one that could do that, by the way. Moses is often referred to or thought of as being a country bumpkin who stuttered and stammered. I, I can't go, Lord, remember what he said? I can't go because I'm slow of speech. That doesn't mean that he's not very intelligent. He was saying, basically making an excuse because he didn't really want to go. But you have to understand, Moses was educated in the highest levels of, again, the most prominent or whatever you want to call it, schools of the time in Egypt. Egypt was the most powerful nation at the time. And not only that, he was one that was used in a mighty way. Some religious historians have recorded that Moses actually led several campaigns as a general in the military of Egypt. So he's very, very intellectual. In fact, he came, you know, one day and he saw two uh, fellas, in fact, an, uh, an Egyptian guy beating up one of his brothers, a Jew. And he walked over, and the Bible doesn't say exactly what he did, but he killed the guy with his bare hands. Now, Moses was trained in the military, so he was probably, he knew what to do. I don't know if he was a special ops guy or what, but I mean, he snapped the guy's neck. I mean, he didn't walk with a billy club and smack him over the, he just killed him instantly with his bare hands and buried him in the sand. So anyways, you understand, Moses was highly educated. He was the one that God gave to write, or used to write, uh, these books. Anyways, uh, notice in here, I won't read all of them, but Genesis 2-4, the generations of heaven and earth. Uh, Genesis 6-9, the generations of Noah. Again, these things are written, uh, as I already said, Genesis 10, and so on and so forth. And then notice the last paragraph on that page there. God inspired some 40 different writers over a period of some 1,600 years, to record his words exactly as he wanted them, beginning with the writings of Moses, which start with God's revelation of the very beginning of time, through John's writings of the revelation of the end times. By the way, in your Bible reading, did you notice, in the, just a rabbit trail real quick, but did you notice that in Genesis, it says that God created all the plants and animals and trees and all this, and then he creates Adam, and then it says he creates the trees and plants and everything again. And some people say, whoa, 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 whoa. There's a discrepancy in the Bible. There's a mistake there. Anyways, when you get home, look it up. Uh, there's no discrepancy. What happened was he created everything and then he created Adam, right? And then in front of Adam, he created trees and plants and certain animals, right? And then he says, Adam, I have a job for you. I want you to name all of this. Okay, the oak tree. <laughs> okay, the zebra. Uh, whatever. Do you see the zebra over here as you pass by? Have you seen that? When you drive by, the guy here with all the horses, he's got a little zebra. And anyways, uh, but anyways, there's no discrepancy there. What happened was he put Adam down for Adam to see, here's what I've done. Now, what happened was Eve didn't get to see God create all of that. And so when Satan came and said, uh, you, you really think God is God? You really think he, he did all this? For, you really think, is that what he did? Well, she didn't see any of that created, so she started, to, oh, I wonder if he did. I wonder if he did. Anyways, uh, look that up when you get home. Because some people have pointed that out. Oh, there's a, there's a discrepancy. There's a mistake in the Bible. No mistake. Okay, so he used these people, 40 different writers over some 1,600 years. And Moses, I said that, all the way to John's writing of the revelation of the end times. God gives us the whole story of this life from beginning to end, along with a glimpse of the life to come. Now, no book does that. No book on planet Earth can give you the beginning by, in detail. Okay? None of the writings of the, uh, 
uh, gurus of India, none of the writings of the great philosophers of Greek philosophy, none of them. Only the Bible gives you in detail how the world was created in six days, how man was created, and then what's taking place throughout humanity. Then it covers how we can live in this life and the life to come. What's after this life? Where did I come from? What am I doing here? And where am I going? This is the only book that answers life's basic questions. So, anyways, God specially inspired those who penned His words so that they wrote down exactly the words He wanted recorded. There's nothing mystical about that. He just simply moved upon them to pen certain things. Again, you know this is given by inspiration of God because these writers would not have included all of their mistakes. If I wrote, if God said, uh, uh, Tim, I would like you to uh, write an epistle for the Bible. Okay, Lord, you got it. I wouldn't write down, I was a dirty, rotten scoundrel. <laughs> Let me tell you all the mistakes. And when, on the, on the, when the cock crowed, I denied Christ. Uh, I wouldn't write that stuff, would you? No, I'd write all my accolades and all the good stuff, and I don't have much, but I'd write all that stuff. So you know it was given, and as they were penning these things, Peter was writing, and he said, Lord, are you sure you want me to write that? <laughs> Can I leave that out? No. All right. <laughs> it's true, isn't it? Okay, turn the page over. So we understand now. Secondly, though, I want you to see this. We'll wrap it up here. We have the Bible today because of what's called divine preservation. So there's inspiration and preservation. Now the question is, how did we get our Bible? Can we trust it today? Because the Bible is God's holy, infallible, inerrant word, those are words we're going to look at a little later, we can believe His promises. Uh, one of those promises concerns the preservation of His words. God promised to preserve His words to uh, every generation. He gave His words in written form and also promised to preserve those very words to or from each generation. Now again, in Psalm 12, verse 6 and 7, He says, Notice the uh, bold letters, Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Isaiah 59, 21, As for me, this is my uh, covenant with them, saith the Lord, my spirit that is upon thee, and my words which I have put in thy mouth shall not depart out of thy mouth, nor out of the mouth of thy seed, nor out of the mouth of thy seed's seed, saith the Lord, from henceforth and forever. That's what Jesus said, or the Lord said. So the Lord Jesus declared this again in Matthew 5, 18. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass. I love that. One jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. All be fulfilled. Uh, again, where not everything is fulfilled yet. Luke 21, 33, heaven and earth shall pass, but my word shall not pass away. And John 10, 35, the scripture cannot be broken. So anyways, we have the word today. Now, the only way we can have a word preserved for us uh, for over 2,000 years the New Testament, and then thousands of years prior to that for the Old Testament, the only way is if God could have preserved it. Because we couldn't keep it if our life depended on it. I mean, I can't find my keys half the time. I lost my keys again the other day. And my wife said, you've got to get one of those janitor things with the string. You remember those? <laughs> I thought that's actually a good idea. Uh, I couldn't keep the Lord. It had to be the Lord. It has to be. God preserved His original words. God's word was originally penned. As you know this in three languages, primarily Hebrew, there was a small amount of Aramaic and then Greek. None of the original manuscripts exist today, but God promised to preserve His words, not just thoughts or ideas, but the exact words to each generation. Uh, though none of the original manuscript, manuscripts of the Bible exist today, we can rest assured that we have God's Word, all of it intact. 
None of it has been lost. None of it has been left out. None of it has been destroyed. God preserved for each generation. Now, again, just clarifying that we have the word today preserved for us. As you translate over, some people ask the question, can't there be something that's called lost in translation? Absolutely. If you've ever studied another language, you know that. You try to translate for somebody and it never comes out right. In Spanish, went to the store, did he? In English, we don't say it that way, right? It's he went to the store and in, vice versa. It's, it's backwards so often. And you think about, it, can it be lost in translation? Well, no, because we believe God preserved it. God's work was in all of this. Now, next week, we're going to look in more detail about some of this. But the second thing is, real briefly, we don't have the originals. People say, oh, I believe in the original manuscripts, meaning the original manuscripts that were written out. We don't have any of those because they were written in very poor quality paper, if you want to call it. There's one type called papyrus, where they would basically beat down the pulp of a certain plant in a mush or a, a pulp form and then lay, straw, smear it out on a piece of uh, tin or something or on the ground and let it dry and then peel it up and it would be something like we have today in paper. They would also use skins of goats and sheep and other things and they would lay it out real flat, real thin, nice leather and write on that. But that doesn't last long. I mean, how many? 35 years? I said before, I've got so many books in my office from just the 70s, and they're completely falling apart. So you realize that they don't last long. So we don't have the originals. What we have is copy of copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. I could go on for 35 minutes of saying copy of a copy. It's just a copy of a copy. Now, it had to be God that preserved that. I have this last paragraph. Notice that most who claim to be fundamental Christians would state clearly that they believe in the verbal inspiration of the Bible in the original manuscripts. So they say the originals are inspired, but what do we believe? However, since the originals no longer exist, some of these same believers do not believe that we have God's verbally inspired word intact today. They believe that it has been lost, that what we have is only portions of what He inspired. They believe that we still have the message, but not the exact words. They do not believe that God preserved His words or that He said that He would. Is this a logical conclusion? When we think it through, it does not make sense. Why would God supernaturally inspire the writers of the originals to write down verbatim what He wanted recorded and then not preserve it for future generations with the, when the originals wore out or were destroyed? If we believe He inspired His Word, we must believe that He preserved His Word. If we believe that God is an errant and infallible, we must believe that God has preserved His Word so that we have the exact words today. Again, this comes back to the character of God, who He is. A God who is unchanging and infallible and loving and just and holy will not be unfair with us. Well, I preserved it for the generation of 2,000 years, the first and second century Christians. I preserved it for the people that grew up in the 1500s. No, that's not fair for us today in 2024. He's preserved it for us today, right? And I'm so thankful that He has. It's God's work, and we must remember that. It all comes back upon the character and attributes of God Himself and who He is, okay? Now, I added these just these last ones here, and we're going to study this next week in more detail, but the Old Testament is preserved in what's called the Masoretic Text, and the New Testament is preserved in the Received Text, or what we call the Textus Receptus. And the Textus Receptus was the text used by the translators of the English Authorized, or what we call the King James Version, and we'll study this in greater detail next week. So, uh, what we're going to look at is, People, this is the number one thing people will ask, what version of the Bible do you use? And I always say we prefer to use the King James Bible. Uh, now, not because it's just, well, we like how it sounds when we read it. 
we prefer to use it out of conviction because we believe it is the better or superior translation in the English version. And again, I say it with all sincerity. If somebody uses a different version, we're not going to berate them or push them out or make fun of them in any way. We're not going to. Uh, we want to try and help them to understand why we believe what we believe, okay? So what you hold in your hands is the book is a book unlike any of its kind. You have a Bible you can trust with your life and your eternity. We have a plenary and verbally inspired Bible given directly from God to humanity. This book is divinely preserved for us today and for future generations to come. Treat it accordingly. Read it, study it, memorize it, live it every day. I'd encourage you to do that. I know you are. But again, one thing that brings comfort to me uh, is that I know that when I'm dead and gone, my kids, grandkids, and others behind me have a Bible they can trust. And they have a Bible that will lead them in, unto salvation and will lead them on the path and of life that they need to know. Uh, it's funny and fascinating to me. So many people push their kids towards certain things uh, by way of education or something like that, and, and only to set them up for failure. We don't need to teach our kids how to become a doctor, lawyer, and other things. That comes, they'll learn all that. You need to lead, lead them now and help them to understand what the Bible says because it's the book of life. That's what it is, isn't it? It tells us exactly what we're doing here, where we're going. When they get up to be 18, 19, 21 years old, and they're trying to figure out the north from the south and which way they're heading and can't figure out how to get themselves straightened out, they need to come back to the Bible. That's the only book. That's the only answer that they have. Okay, so where do we get it? Well, we got it by divine inspiration and divine preservation. Uh, so take that home again. Uh, read some of those verses on your own. Study it for yourself. You'll find it to be very, very fascinating that we have a Bible that we can trust today. I wish more preachers would preach on that and uh, emphasize that. So few today push that you just need to simply read your Bible. Really. And I get flack for it all the time. Oh, Brother Tim, you're always saying, read your Bible. You're always saying, read your Bible. Because it's, if you get a church, every individual reading their Bible, you get a healthy church. Uh, I had one of my pastors tell me this. He said, Brother Tim, when the people of your church are full of the Word, they're not always hungry, they're not always thirsting or parched, but you're feeding them the Word. People that have full bellies are usually more content. <laughs> they, they're not people always upset and oh, blah, 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 blah. Well, feed them the Bible. Give them the Bible. That's all you got to do. And they know the Bible. And again, think about as we go out of these doors each week, we go out as an army and we're all armed with the sword. And we know the Bible and we're going forth and helping other people to know the truth. Okay, anyways, study that for yourself. It is fascinating to look at. We are not reading a book that is outdated and archaic. We have a Bible that's relevant. Isn't that fascinating? It's relevant for 2024, yet written thousands of years ago. No other book makes that claim. All right. Well, I appreciate you being here tonight. I hope that was a help to you. And again, we'll continue studying this throughout uh, the next probably uh, couple weeks, uh, uh, where we got our Bible, why we use certain version next week, and then carrying on into what we should do to propagate the truth as well. Okay? All right. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this evening again and the opportunity as I say each week, to share your word. And I know I'm speaking to folks here tonight, Lord, that love you, that love the Bible. They spend time in the Bible. I appreciate them so much. And uh, it makes it easy for me to preach to them in light of something like this. I praise you for it. I thank you for, Lord, personally, the word of God and that, God, uh, that you've given it to us in a language today that we can understand. 
that we can have. Help us, Lord, that removes all excuses. Help us to be in your word daily and take time to, Lord, really uh, study your word. We know that it's given to us, and we're so thankful that it's not our own doing. It's not men that came together to try to keep it, preserve it, and try to avoid any gra grammatical errors or mistakes. It was you, Lord. It was your doing. We're thankful for that. Help us now, Lord, and guide us. Be with those on our prayer request list, and uh, bring us back safely on Sunday. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.